But it's good to see you. Welcome to Christchurch. If you don't know me, my name's Nicola. Um, yeah, and it's great to be with you this evening. So the question that I want to kind of pose just as we start this evening is, does God have a plan for my life? And while I clip my bits of paper on, because I need them this evening, um, have a little thing. That's going to be interesting. Okay. <laughs> Does God have a plan? Um, I'm just going to ruin the sermon and go, yeah, he has a plan. And I think that God wants us to leave this evening really confident that God has a plan for our lives. And to rest in the great peace that actually brings us. That do you know what? No matter what grade you get in your exams at school, seriously, no matter what grade you get in your exams at school, God has got a plan for your life. No matter how messy your life is right now, or no matter how dark a deeper, disgusting valley you happen to be going through right now, God does have a plan for your life. And confidence in that can give us a real peace as we travel through the ups and downs that is living on earth. Because you see, common things come our way, which means we can begin to doubt that God has a plan for us. Like when we go through suffering, when things don't work out the way we wanted, when we're perhaps stuck in a situation and limits are put on us. Think about people who are stuck in prison right now. You know, like it can be easy then to doubt, well, God, did you have a plan for my life? I'm just stuck here. And how have we felt during this pandemic season? I think for many of us, it's made us sometimes question, what's the point? Is there a purpose? Is there a plan? Because when we're in those difficult times, it can be easy to doubt and whilst I don't think that God has earmarked every hour of our lives, nor do I think that God robs us of freedom to make decisions, I really believe God has plans for his people. And it's not like, you know, you're at a buffet table and there's like a selection of sandwiches and there's like cheese and ham and tuna and coronation chicken and like, I don't know, this is Chiswick, isn't it? Quinoa and avocado smash. And like, so there's all this selection of sandwiches, right? And that you have to be like, okay, God, what sandwich should I eat today? Like, I just want to live my whole life in, in your plan. So like, Lord, which sandwich do I need to eat today? Like... I think God genuinely says it's all right to eat all the, you know, pick your sandwich. But I think God really loves that crazy Christian who does go, God, what sandwich should I eat today? Because he just loves communing with us. He just loves us chatting to him like we're mates, we're friends with God. And so I think he loves that. But what I do think is that God paints, if you like, brig broad strokes of a plan and we get bits of paintbrushes tiny ones and help fill in some of the details or if you like the image of um, a tapestry can be quite a helpful one to us and um, perhaps when we're going through the messiness of life you know the back of a tapestry just looks like a complete mess there's all different colors threads going everywhere there's knots it's all kind of crazy and it just looks kind of 
Like, what is that? What's going on, God? But you flip the tapestry over, and there's a beautiful, very carefully planned image. I think it's a little like that. Isaiah 55 says something very important to us. It says this. It says, God says, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you know what? We cannot fully understand what God is up to, and yet we can trust that he has a plan, that he has a big, broad stroke brush of a plan. And we're called on by God to inquire of him to ask God God what are you doing right now what do you want from me And I think um, it's been really interesting in this pandemic time because I've watched myself and I've watched friends um, do really interesting things because whenever we go through a difficult time, it can cause us to kind of react in certain ways. And, and I've seen people kind of react just really quickly. I'm just going to do this now. I'm going to move here or I'm going to do that or I'm going to change this pattern. And other people who've kind of gone, well, okay, actually, I'm going to stop and I'm going to wait and I'm going to say, God, how do you want to use me in this season? What would you require of me this week? And they've inquired, they've taken the time to inquire of God. I've done both those two things during the, the past few months, <laughs> I'll readily admit. Um, I can tell you for a fact, the weeks when I've stopped to inquire of the Lord, things have been uh, much better. Now, I want to just say that Ava... Over the whole of Scripture, there's a really broad kind of brushstroke that God paints. And God does a kind of broad brushstroke which goes like this. I love life. I hate death. It's one of God's big plans is that he is for life. In Genesis, he creates life. And then in Genesis 12, he says, I'm going to bless the people, Israel, but in order that they will be a blessing to every nation on earth. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, we hear that God is not impatient, but patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. So one of the big kind of broad brushstrokes of God's kind of mighty plans is that God is for life over scripture. He is for life. Now for a short and really specific time. Oh, that helps. Thank you. <laughs> um, for a really short and specific time in history, there were people groups that were so um, depraved with sin uh, We've talked about this before in past sermons, killings, child sacrifices, temple prostitution, like really nasty stuff. And because of their sin, they fall under the judgment of God. And God tells his people that they are to clear those people out of the promised land. He commands them to do that for his judgment will not stand their sin any longer and it has fallen upon them. And as we enter this passage tonight, it's just all going completely wrong. The plan is messed up. 
And the plan's messed up on quite a lot of different levels. Um, Back in chapter 7, verse 9, we hear that um, because of the Israelites' sin, their enemies are going to gain confidence over them. And so as we enter this chapter, we hear that the enemies, the kings in the West, are coming together, gaining confidence and going, right, we're going to attack Israel. However, in our passage tonight, there's this other group, and they're the Gibeonites. And they have a different plan, and they're really interesting. They go, can't defeat the Israelites because actually God is with them. And so we're going to have to do something a bit different if we want to live. Otherwise, we are going to die. And in their sort of desperation, they come up with this kind of crazy plan. Um, And it reminds me of my nine-year-old child because it's like so cunning. Basically, the kind of thing a really cunning uh, person does to get out of any kind of punishment. And um, so they're basically going to just totally lie because that's what you do, right? You know know you've been caught. You know punishment's coming. You've just got to lie to get out of it. And, uh, And that's basically what they do. And they're like super clever because basically they've done their homework. And we don't know how they found this out, but somehow they have found out what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20, it says this. The Israelites must make peace treaties with those people that live really far away. So not the people around them that have come under judgment that God said to drive out. But they've got to make peace treaties with those that live far away. And somehow the Gibeonites have got hold of this bit of knowledge. And so they're like, right, we'll go to them. We'll go to Joshua and the Israelites and we'll make a peace treaty with them. And like, we'll just pretend that we don't live next door, but that we've come from like miles away. So they do this kind of crazy stuff. They get like moldy bread and put it in their bags to kind of pretend that they've been on a journey for such a long time. They mess up their clothes a bit and like kind of get some costumes on with dirt and kind of, you know, they just make themselves look rough basically. And they rock up to Joshua and they're like, yeah, we've come from like miles away, really far, really, really far. We've been on the road for like months. We've come from so far away uh, from you. They basically just blatantly lie to Joshua and the Israelite people. And what's really interesting in our text is that when you read it, it has so many parallels to the story of Rahab. Listen to how they speak. We've heard of your God's fame. We've heard of his renown. We heard how your God has defeated, done X, Y, or Z. It's just how Rahab speaks. And we're meant to clock this kind of literary device that's here in the text. We're meant to kind of go, hey, wonder, actually, if this God whose big, broad, stroke plan of scripture is actually for life, I wonder if he's going to ludicrously and rather graciously save these Gibeonites like he did Rahab. And that is what God does. But he has to do it through an almighty mess of God's people. You see, it wasn't the first plan. God's people have wrecked that already. They haven't been properly driving out the nations before them. And Joshua does something he should have never done. 
he basically makes a peace treaty with these people without even asking God about it. He doesn't inquire of God. And say what Joshua ends up with is rather than an easy time, he has a really hard time. He has a mob of angry Israelites who've been kind of deceived by these Gibeonite people and these kind of scared Gibeonites that he's made the peace treaty with and he can't break his word with. And he has to kind of deal with this mess. But in amongst the mess, God is still at work. God's at work in saving the Gibeonites and God is at work then in restoring Joshua. You see, back in Numbers 27, Joshua is commissioned to be the leader of the Israelite people. And um, as he's commissioned, he is told that one of his key duties is to inquire of God over God's plans, God's ways. And so it should have been as like obvious to him as getting up in the morning and eating breakfast. He should have been inquiring of God It's really interesting as well, back in Exodus chapter 33, Moses, they set up a camp and then they set up a tent on the edge outside of the camp. And that's where Moses goes to meet and chat with God. And Moses chats with God there. And a pillar of cloud comes and descends on that tent. And they like talk, like mates, friends, they talk. They're close. And you discover as you read Exodus chapter 33 that Joshua is there. The assistant Joshua, the leader who's going to be raised up, is right there. And in his passionate youth, he doesn't want to leave the tent of God. He just wants to be wherever God is speaking. He's hungry for God and he just wants to be in that place. What has happened to that Joshua? What is it that stopped him being hungry to inquire of God's plans and God's ways? Why has he stopped wanting to hear the voice of God? And I want to suggest that two things have probably happened to Joshua, and I think they happen to us too today. Um, The first is that it's so easy when more responsibility comes in our lives to stop having time to spend with God. Now Joshua is the main leader. He no longer has time to lie about the tent in God's presence. People are coming to him for stuff. He needs to respond to things. He's in charge. He's got a role to play. And when more responsibility comes, it's easy not to protect that precious time out with God. It's so easy to think that we perhaps don't need it anymore or we've got more important things to do with our time. And then I think the second thing that's happened to Joshua is that he's become over-familiar with God. And in some ways, there's part of this that's kind of good. You know, as you're like um, living the Christian life and you hear the Bible, um, you begin to anticipate and know how God kind of operates and how God works. And lots of that's good because God says, you're not meant to be like a child. You've got to grow into maturity. And so you you kind of think, well, actually, I know as a Christian that I'm meant to love my neighbor as myself. And therefore, I've got to forgive that neighbor. I've got to be kind to that neighbor. I've got to be, you know that stuff. And so you're like, kind of, you become very familiar with God. But sometimes 
that over-familiarity can tip into us thinking that our thoughts are the same as God's. And Isaiah 55 says, Do not make your God unimportant or small. God's thoughts are so much higher than yours. Who do you think you are? Who on earth do you think you are that you think that your thoughts, of course, are God's? But I wonder, <laughs> wonder if you've ever fallen into that trap. And I think Joshua's fallen into both of those traps, the kind of the pressure of responsibility and lack of time, and then the over-familiarity with God's ways. And so in the midst of that, he doesn't inquire of God, and he gets it completely wrong over the Gibeonites, and he ends up with this massive mess and this huge headache that he has to kind of wade his way through that would have been way easier to deal with without it. And yet, in the mess, God brings about redemption. And that's such good news to hear, right? Because how often do you feel like, oh man, I mess up. And yet God does this amazing thing in the mess because God cannot be thwarted. God has bigger plans and higher thoughts. But I wonder tonight, I wonder how you're doing at sort of wrestling with God over his plans in life for you for us communally for what he's doing in our nation or do you barely have a pillow fight are you someone who's going to go after inquiring of God you see Joshua essentially gets a ticking off in this passage But the fantastic news is that people are saved through the mess. And he himself is restored. It's never too late to get back on track with God. It's never too late to come back to that close friendship where you just inquire of God again. And do you know what I think today we're so prone to doing these things? I think we're so prone to telling God what we cannot do for him because we're too busy, too tired, too worn down. Or we can be very good at telling God all the things we're going to do for him. (laughs) And we're not so good at genuinely wrestling to inquire of him. And I want to suggest to you as we head now this, this kind of into this summer, we don't know how long this situation is going to drift on for and in what kind of way. But as we head into this summer, say, Lord, the next six months, this next season, I want to inquire of you for my life. I want to give you the steering wheel again. I want you to be Lord. I want you to be in control. I don't want to make it difficult. I don't want to make extra mess. I want to be in your will. And I don't want to tell you, God, your thoughts or tell you what I should be doing. I want to hear from you. And I think God just loves those (laughs) that inquire of him over things. 
And so Joshua, he messes up, steps in and saves the Gibeonites from the Israelites. And it's an echo of Christ's ludicrous grace, saving us, delivering us condemned sinners from a spiritual death in the messiness of the cross. And here we come through Joshua, right to the heart of the good news. Amazing news that our God has a plan to deliver us, to lead us through this life to eternal life. And we as his people can go tonight with so much peace in our heart that whatever happens, whatever dark valleys we have to traverse, whatever trials we face, whatever persecution may come our way, whatever we do or don't have in relationships, whatever happens, God is leading us towards him and into eternal life. There's a lot of people in our world right now that are searching for a purpose and a plan. And we have great news. We're part of God's great big story of redemption. It's really hot with our masks on, isn't it? Should we just stand up for a minute? And um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Discerning hearing God often happens in the community of God as well. That's why we uh, meet in small groups in the week and we have friendships with one another because um, we're not called to do it on our own either. We're called to, to seek prayer. Um, one of my best mates that I pray with, we've been praying together for like 14 years now. We're in a little group that pray. And uh, she had to make a decision about a job. And she's like, actually, I want to inquire of God. Am I, am I stepping out here in the right way? Let's, let's pray about it together. Because when we do that, isn't that God always just easily gives us a like, yes, bam, sometimes he does. But it gives him the opportunity to speak. He wants to speak into the situation. We've at least stopped, we've waited, and we've inquired of him. And we want to be those people that are doing that regularly, daily. So let's just pray that God will give us the grace to do that. God, thank you for the incredibly talented people that are in this room tonight with many gifts and callings and talents that you have placed upon them. God, thank you that you know every hair on their heads, that you have plans, God, that you love them oh, so very much. And that you delight in walking closely with us through life. God, forgive us if we've done a Joshua in any way and we've just kind of got carried away with the responsibilities or we've become over-familiar. God, forgive us. We don't want to worship a God we've put in a box. We want to worship the almighty, true, sovereign Lord of the universe. And God, if there's anyone here tonight who just really needs to leave with just peace and confidence, that you have the plan, you have the big plan in hand. You're leading us through this life to eternity with you. I just pray that Holy Spirit, you'd graciously grant them deep faith and peace in that tonight. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.